welcome to the Top Order podcast, 18th of October here in Level 3, Auckland. We have got a PAX this week in cricket, the IPL final, World Cup emissions, a little bit of a World Cup day one wrap-up with Scotland beating Bangladesh and Oman beating PNG. The coaching merry-go-round continues and the New Zealand domestic summer all coming up on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. Well, guys, pretty obvious that we should have seen this coming. We were strong advocates of the final between the Royal Challengers, Bangalore and the Delhi Capitals. So no surprise it was the Chennai Super Kings versus the KKR in the final. So we should have seen this coming. I guess I'm going to lead in with a bit of a provocative question. Is this an asterisk as well with this split season? You know, are we going to remember the fact that this was a split up tournament and teams had probably selected squads for one set of conditions um, but we finished the season in slightly different um, affair. No more or less than the 2019 World Cup should have an asterisk next to it. No, this is a, a win fair and, and fair and simple for K, uh, for the CSK side. They've been a really good side. They've played great cricket all season in both sets of conditions. They've been fantastic. The one that surprised me really was KKR. They've come from a bit of you know a bit of nowhere there. Other teams have fallen away, and they've managed to scrape their way through to the final, having played some pretty good cricket along the way. Uh, collapses in the semi-final and final, actually notwithstanding, but an outstanding season for them. I think that this is a case of disappointment, really, for Mumbai and Delhi and Royal Challengers, Bangalore, as much as anything else. You know, those sides have really fallen away uh, in the back end of the tournament as we moved to the UAE. Mumbai, in particular, didn't start the second half well, didn't give themselves enough momentum, Raj, to get into the, the playoffs in what has traditionally been a very strong year for them, an odd-numbered year. Uh, of course, they won it uh, odd-numbered years going back and almost to the very beginning of the IPL, uh, won it last year in an even-numbered year, broke that curse, but then couldn't continue their form. Uh, but massive turnarounds from both CSK and KKR, both missing the playoffs last year and then storming through to contest the grand final and win it in a great fairy tale comeback for CSK. Yeah, agreed from me. Uh, right from that first game where Suresh Reina came out and scored that, that quick fire 40 or 50 uh, in, the, in the opener for CSK, I, I thought they were going to go well, but nowhere in my wildest dreams did I think that they would um, end up in the final, maybe at the top half, but the final is a is a whole different ball game. Uh, with KKR coming into that second half of the tournament, they were on the back of that Brendan McCullum rousing speech, Gus Gould-like, uh, and, and they played some really good cricket to get to the final. So well done to those two teams. But I do want to pick up on the fact that uh, Mumbai Indians, RCB and the, the Delhi Capitals, all missing out on on playing in the final or uh, things like that. I feel like that's not a coincidence. Uh, the, squads, the squads were built to play in April, May in India with the understanding of what pitches they were to be playing on and when well ahead of time. And I think that these are teams that actually plan really well ahead of time. And, and they may have been a victim of that little break that they had, as well as uh, some international players coming back and some not as well. So I don't think we should be too hard on ourselves. But uh, yeah, it makes our record look a little bit worse for, the, for wear. Uh, I don't think we should be hard on ourselves at all, boys. We we did well. We I think if we look back, I, I haven't actually gone and actually checked all of our numbers. I do know, I think from memory, um, old Nost Nostra Adamus up there um, picked CSK, I think, as, as one of his teams to watch. I just threw Nostra, Ad Nostra Adamus uh, in there for Raj because I know how much he hates that term. Um, but look, you know, I think we had Delhi in the, in the top four, Mumbai in the top four, 
RCB in the top four, all of us, I think, picked those three teams to kind of watch. And and we did pretty well. Those sides, Delhi and, and RCB in particular, were very strong until that last moment. But, you know, look, let's stick with CSK and talk about how good they were and, and what a great job. Binksy, it must have given you great delight to see how well Moeen Ali performed in that final, uh, especially leading into this World Cup final or World Cup tournament. Yeah, well, look, still just reeling a little bit from Baldy's very salty comment at the start of uh, that around an asterisk, especially coming from a, a, an Aussie who should just concentrate on getting better, not bitter. Um, but look, I, I think that, yeah, absolutely, Mo and Ali's free-flowing bat, that 37 off, uh, not very many balls in that final, uh, just showed the value that he can provide to a T20 side. And look, it wouldn't surprise me, England have got some questions going into that World Cup um, around who opens the batting and, and certainly maybe who bats in the top um, three. A lot of right-handers, if you look at the likes of Bairstow, Butler um, and Roy. Milan, obviously the top one-day batsman in the world until a little uh, while ago, or sorry, T20 batsman, left-handed. But Moen Ali um, throwing his hat into the ring there for maybe some um, upper or top-order um, impetus. So yeah, very pleased uh, to see him. Um, and it was KKR that I'd actually thrown into the mix um, as one to watch, uh, mainly just due to not my love of Andre Russell and Owen Morgan, to be honest, rather than um, any statistic and analysis. But that wouldn't surprise anyone here. And and while, uh, you know, since Baldy's uh, singing the dig- digs at England and, um, you know, obviously I want to throw some New Zealand positives out there. I do want to give a massive shout out to the fact that there was two Kiwi uh, coaches in that final. Stephen Fleming obviously came out victorious. Brendan McCullum, uh, it was already mentioned, uh, excellent job to get C- uh, KKR into that final from the position that they were in. And, you know, I, I don't think anyone saw that coming, the way that they turned their season around in, in the back half of that year. Lockie Ferguson, we've given a big plug to in the past, but unfortunately, I think I saw a stat that Faf Duplessis took 40 off of uh, the 16 balls that Lockie bowled to him. And you know, I don't actually think he bowled that badly, uh, to be honest. He, he was pretty much hitting that Yorker length uh, on a number of occasions, but uh, got both Gaikwad and Faf just kind of giving themselves a, a little, you know, manipulating the crease and just turning those Yorker balls into half volleys or, or uh, yeah, just positioning them to the boundary and unfortunately just not Lockie's day. But, you know, Baldy, I think you want to probably give a shout out to the fact that uh, this is potentially... The last time we might see MS Dhoni, uh, and what a what you know what a career it's been for him in in terms of uh, his legacy, and and what a way for him to finish. Yeah, you read my mind, Stuart. I was actually going to pose a question to the panel impromptu: Is this the last time that we're going to see MS Dhoni take the cricket field? And if it is, what an absolutely perfect swan song for. A, a tremendous, tremendous servant to Indian cricket um, over the years, MS Dhoni. He won the game with leadership. And I think that is the perfect swan song for him. He'll be remembered as a tremendous batsman, a very workmanlike wicketkeeper, but but his leadership is almost par excellent. You know, there's no real competitors for that kind of trust that he puts in his cricket team, maybe with the exception of Brendan McCullum, really. So it's no surprise to me that those two were the, the kind of senior people that were leading those teams into the final. But if if MS Dhoni doesn't take the cricket field again, that's just the perfect way for him to 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 kind of exit stage left uh, um, as a winner. And I, and I think he deserves to go out as a winner. There are very few that get to write their own fairy tale, but for for me, MS Dhoni leaving as a winner at the IPL that's just the perfect way to end your cricket career, as far as I'm concerned. So one of the other eye-catching moments in that final 
was, of course, the ball hitting the spider camp. Raj, I know you've got a, a question about that. The thing I wanted to talk about, though, was it seemed dead obvious, even live. The ball went up and it clearly changed direction off the rope for the spider camp. Commentators seemed to pick an age to pick it up and, and figure out um, what was going on. They were just more fizzing over, I don't know, Matt Hayden's ensemble or Pommy and Bang were going off on major tangents. Um, but yeah, what did we think of that during uh, during the final? Yeah, I mean, I saw that. I thought I thought it was obvious at the time. Uh, the umpires did see it. They they asked um, uh, Shubman Gill to wait. But um, yeah, I actually think it's the right call, calling it dead. But doesn't it make it harder? Shouldn't you get two wickets for actually catching um, catching that player? So that, that was a good job uh, by him. But I guess my real question around the spider cam is, I'm going to throw to you here, Lippy, is, is it actually... Does it add any value anymore? And I know we get great insights from Tim Payne during the drinks breaks, uh, uh, during the test series uh, in Australia. But is there actually any value I in the spider cam anymore? I hope you're joking about the great insights from from Tim Payne from the the spider cam. But Lippy, I'll defer to your better judgment and and uh, well, stop winding Bordy up. I'll stay well clear of the the Tim Payne chat. But I mean, for me, I, I gimmicks. Gimmicks in general, I'm I'm not a huge fan of. I uh I, I could just do with watching the game on a on a standard all the standard cameras, uh, and yeah, I don't need spider cam at all. I mean the the actual the fact that it, it's been hit a few times now. I think this isn't the first time that it's happened. Uh, is is certainly uh something that uh yeah, it's not it's not something that I enjoy. So um yeah, I will I'd I'd happily get rid of it from uh, from all cricket. Um, Binksy, I want to go back to something you said earlier around the the openers, and, and particularly Fuff, because he was just brilliant, and 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 Guy Quad both actually both in the final and throughout the whole tournament. They, I think, they're one and two throughout the whole tournament in terms of top run scorers. Just excellent, excellent performances. On the flip side to that, I've seen a lot of criticism around KKR and particularly Shubman Gill and his performance in that final, and I guess it brought me back to a a bigger question about what a T20 opener's role is, because we've always also seen in recent years a lot of criticism around KL Rahul's role and, and what he does um, for, for Punjab and and I guess how he sometimes tries to anchor the innings and people give him a lot of cri- criticism for, I guess, making it so difficult on the other sides. I want to see what you guys think and, and whether, I guess, Shubman Gill helped or hindered his team. Um, I actually... I, I would like to come back around because I know that, you know, whoever gets the final word is always right. So I'd like to end the conversation, but I'd like to hear what you guys have to say first. Well, yeah, look, I'm happy to jump in, Lippy. And first on the spider cam thing, I think you were the wrong person to come to with that particular question because you would like one camera. It doesn't matter which end and you'd quite happily watch bowlers arm one end and then the old 1980s view from behind the wicketkeeper um, in the, yeah, in the second innings. There's no room in the game for me for the spider cam anymore. We've got drones for everything else. So why don't they just fly, a, a, you know, fly in the pain drone um, to talk to to Payne when uh, whenever there's a wicket. But on the openers, yeah, look, it was fantastic, really. At one stage, I think even going into the final uh, stages of that CSK um, innings, if Faftu Plessis had, had kind of hit another boundary, I think he'd have actually got the, I think, is it the orange cap or the green cap or the, you know, pink cap? I don't know, but he'd have got the, the cap from, uh, yeah, from his opening partner for the most runs in the tournament. For me, I'm not going to answer the question specifically on Shubman Gill. I, I, you know, I like him. I think he's a fantastic player. And I know Raj is a big fan as well. 
For me, though, the key for opening in T20 is absolutely trusting your role as an opener, which is that um, you know that if you stay in and bat enough balls and you're a quality player, you are going to finish with a, a decent strike rate and put your team in a really, really strong position. Um, and I think that's what Faf did, really. He, he, he looked as if he was struggling to get going early on, but I think always backed himself to be able to catch up. So um, I think you're not always going to pay off when you take that approach. You, you might, on occasions, use up 40 balls and end up 35 off them. Um, but yeah, for, for me, the criticism of, of Gill, pretty unwarranted. Yeah, I'll just second that. I mean, if you have a look at the opening bats across the tournament, Virat Kohli had a pretty decent tournament, 405 runs, struck at 119.46. Shubman Gill, who's come under fire, 478 runs, strike rate of 118.9. So there's very little in between their strike rates. You have a look at Nitesh Rana, 121. Uh, someone like Shikha Dawan, he's 124. In fact, Kale Rahul had a, a strike rate of 138.8, which is higher than both Rutaraj Gaikwad and Faf Duplessis. So, you know, like in this, in this particular instance, Kale Rahul's had an excellent, um, excellent IPL as far as strike rates are concerned. So there's not a lot there between some of those, you know, really well-credentialed openers. And, you know, if Coley's come under a bit of fire on this podcast from certain corners of the, of the table. Um, but, you know, I think in this particular instance, the, the criticism of Shubman Gill's probably a little bit unwarranted. Um, maybe he just needed that one more innings with a high strike rate where he catches up at the end of a big innings um, and goes for 90 off 60 rather than, you know, 50 off 45. Yeah, I think just to jump on the back of that, uh, Faf Duplessis is the great uh, example of how that can work. He batted 80, 90 runs, not out, batted the innings, carried his bat, and they almost scored 200 in a final. Uh, I think that there is a place for that kind of, of opener. In India especially, over the last 18 months, that's definitely a tactic that has gone around the IPL and around the Indian dressing room. Uh, I think that's what we're going to see a lot of uh, at the World Cup. But um, from a Shubman Gill specific perspective, uh, in 2019, he, his strike rate was 124. In 2020, his strike rate was 118. And in 2021, it was 100 and almost 119. So it's been fairly constant the whole time there. Uh, but what is missing from those numbers is he doesn't really have any massive scores there either. Top score of 76 uh, there. But um, yeah. I don't see a problem with it. Back to you, Lippy, for the final word. Oh, you, you, you've all kind of covered me and, and given uh, the majority of, of what I said. I mean, Baldy touched on my main point. I think the difference there is that Faf, Faf went on with it, right? That you go into that situation and you, you get 50 off 40 balls. It's very important that you then continue if you're chasing a big target like that. But I just actually see the, you know, if you want to get stuck into to KKR, the problem isn't Shubman Gill or Ayer. The problem is zero two four nine zero two at from three to eight or whatever that is, and and that's what happened. And you know they were they were none for ninety off ten overs. They were they were in a, a really good position. But at the end of the day, CSK played a great final. They deserved to win that tournament. They played great throughout the whole tournament. And uh, yeah, you just got to give them massive credit for for everything that they did this season. Look on on. We should probably move on from the IPL and and head to the World Cup, but probably a good way to transition is around Faf again, who we're talking about, and the fact that he's not in the South African side. You know, I I said uh, in our World Cup preview that I thought that they're a bit of a dark horse, you know, without mentioning the fact that they've left some pretty good cattle on the bench. 
and that the way that they have kind of described it is around how freelancers they don't really think that they can incorporate the freelancers so that's Faf Duplessis, Chris Morris, Imran Tahir into their environment. Where do you guys stand on all of that because you know you see it a number of teams around the world are, are doing it and finding a way to do it but South Africa's decided to put their foot uh, foot in the sand and say no. Well, I think it's really interesting in the fact that Lungi and Gidi and I think Onrik uh, Nokia are both in the South African side for this World Cup, if I'm not mistaken. They both played in the IPL. So it can't just be that they're playing one or two tournaments. There must be something different about the way that South Africa want to move their cricket forward. If you have a look at Fuff, you have a look at uh, Imran Tahir. He's, he's well over 40, but Fuff's kind of over 35. I think Morris is around about 35 too, if I'm not mistaken. So I think South Africa are going, well, we want to take our cricket in a different direction. And we don't think potentially that, that for the long-term benefit of, of developing our players, that, that those guys are in that, um, are in that, um, you know, lens for me, Morris and Faf in particular are still one of the 15 best T20 cricketers in South Africa um, or available for South Africa. So if it's about picking your best players to try and win the tournament, they'd definitely be on the train. Uh, but I think that there's probably a, a lens looking forward to say, well, we want to develop our cricketers and, and these guys probably don't fit that, um, that mould. Isn't it hard enough to to try and guess what a normal cricket board is doing on any given day rather than the uh, the, the Cricket South Africa board, the basket case it's been over the last 18 months? There's clearly, you know, the way that FAF left, there's clearly some unresolved issues there. But you're, you're, there are a number of arguments both ways for this. So, yes, you want your best players playing domestically to help your, your, your own cricket evolve and, and grow organically like that. But 2020 cricket, we've mentioned it already, is, is becoming its own form. Uh, guys like uh, Luke Wright, you remember him from England? He was one of the first guys that was that mercenary that went around, just played white ball cricket and did that. And I don't think that there's any problem with that. If that, that's what you want to do, play white ball cricket, go around the world, um, have fun, just like uh, some of the stories that you hear of the universe boss and, and et cetera. Uh, why not? Why not do that? And, and um, do what you're good at, and then come back and play for your national team. I don't have a problem with that, but um, clearly Cricket South Africa do. Over to you, um, Binksy. Yeah, look, I just want to pick up on a couple of points there. So I think the first one, um, Luke Wright, is a great example. You know, he has been a little bit of a traveller. The, the key with him, though, is he's always returned to his home county of Sussex and, um, and really developed some of those younger guys coming through. So his English season has been back to his county um, over and over and over again. And I think the other component here is that there hasn't been a single board that have got this right. If we go back to the start of the IPL, the English cricket board didn't want to let their players go and play in the IPL. Kevin Peterson, often described as a little bit of a renegade, but it almost become a prophet in the way um, that his desires have sort of really um, shown the way for other players to, to actually leverage their own brand. I think actually the West Indies now are probably the team that are getting it right. That you know they used to be pretty hard line about playing West Indian domestic cricket, but now I think they recognise that the brand of the Andre Russells and the Shimron Hetmyers and the Kyron Pollards on that global stage in those franchise tournaments is actually probably growing their game domestically even more so than if they were playing in um, not necessarily the Caribbean Premier League, but certainly in terms of their domestic. Um, their domestic cricket as well. Lippy, over to you. Yeah, look, you're, you're transitioning me beautifully to to the questions I want to say. Before I do ask an, another question to the panel, 
I will just point out on uh, give Cricket South Africa some credit. It's been said that Chris Morris was did make himself unavailable for the tournament, um, but the other two certainly seemed like they were available in, in Tahir and, and Faf. But Binksy, you touched on just before around the West Indies and, and what they're doing well. One of their bigger missions, who also performed uh, incredibly well in this back half of the IPL, Sunil Narayan, he's not in the side. Slightly different reason, though. His was around uh, not meeting the fitness standards. So that's, you know, that's not the freelance stuff. How do we then see, should he be in the side? Can we make exceptions for stuff like this? I've mentioned this a couple of times when talking about the West Indies. I'm actually happy that they've put those standards in place. Uh, Sunil Narayan has actually not played well for for a bit of an extended period of time until just recently, even though he's a very good player. Um, I have no problem with those standards being put in place, saying that if you don't meet these fitness standards, you're not going to be able to make the side. So for me, I don't have a problem with that at all. Over to you, um, Baldy. Yeah, you'll brook no argument with me in terms of fitness standards. I know our Monday night side has, has got some very exacting fitness standards and I expect the international sides are no different. So, there, look, there's no problem for me in terms of Sunil Narayan not being able to to make that cut. They've got three very good spinners that are on the plane over to um, over to the UAE in Oman for that T20 World Cup. And, and like we said in the preview, I expect the West Indies to be right up there when it comes to the semifinals. Raj, we'll stick on the West Indies theme. And as our resident universe boss correspondent, we'll come to you. Some criticism um, of the big man um, from Kirtley Ambrose. And uh, look, I don't think uh, big Kirtley's going to be getting too many invites to uh, Chris Gale's little nightclub in his basement. Yeah, look, it's an incredibly uh, intricate subject, uh, to say the least. There's a number of different sides, and I will be taking one, so hang in hang in for that. Uh, but just to sum it up really quickly, Kirtley Ambrose, Ambrose said that Chris Gale's performances over the last 18 months have been poor, and that there have been no innings of significance, which... Like to be honest, that that is that is probably that's just fact. Uh, he, he, and he said that on a on a morning radio show. Chris Gale came back and basically said that he had no respect for Ambo, Ambrose, and that a lot of ex players have no respect for the current West Indies cricket team. Look, since then everyone's been having their their, their piece of this, uh, from uh, Karen Pollard to Sir Vivian Richards. For me, it comes down to this: uh, Chris Gale, he is an icon of, of West Indies cricket. I, I don't think that. We can put somebody on blast in the media, uh, but, but that, that's a minor issue for me, putting them on blast like that. The major issue for me is that these guys are going for a third 2020 Cricket World Cup title. And I just think that everything should be focused on that and from a positive perspective at the moment. Um, but yeah, I just want to focus on the way that they play outrageously. I guess my favorite quote, though, of this whole thing before I throw over to you, Baldy, was when Chris Gale was referring to himself constantly in the third person, uh, talking about how Chris Gale has no uh, respect for Kirtley Ambrose anymore. So look, staying in character, he's doing a good job. I'll throw it over to you, Baldy. I couldn't believe some of the some of the conversation that was going on. In fact, Chris Gale referred to himself in the fourth person there at one stage. He's, that, he's that, just that incredible. On a serious note, though, if you think about the conversation we had with Colin Munro when he talked to us on the podcast, and we've talked to him a couple of times around this, a top-order batsman's job in those kind of tournaments is to win a couple of games off the bat but just by themselves. And Chris Gale absolutely still has the ability to do that. He's not going to win every game for the West Indies, but he could quite easily win them a very big game batting at number three. 
I think he needs a score against one of those associate nations that qualify out of the um, out of round one into round two. And West Indies, I think, have those games in games three and four, and then they finish with a big game at the end um, from memory in the draw. I don't have it in front of me, but that's the opportunity that I think Chris Gale's going to need to go big and to get himself a big 60 or 70, to get himself a little bit of confidence and a little bit of swagger uh, going into the back end of the tournament. Because if he's on a bit of a roll, the West Indies are a completely different side with him batting either at number one or at number three in the order, as he has done a little bit in the IPL of late. That segues nicely into more chat about the World Cup. One little public service announcement. We've got it going on in our chat right now. Any listeners out there who hear any of us starting a sentence with for me um, at the start of our little monologues, please uh, pop a note in the comments or on social media. We've got a little bit of a top order swear jar going for that. At the moment, I think me and Big Raj um, are $5 down um, on this particular um, episode but yeah. world cup is underway we've got day one scotland beating bangladesh and baldi aman beating your beloved png uh, what did we make of that those two two games that the scotland game particularly uh, uh, got to be uh, deemed a, a surprise or an upset at least yeah we called it in the preview uh, that there was an upset on the cards in this group stage and it didn't take very long for it to come about so scotland have beaten bangladesh pretty convincingly really in the opening game of the T20 World Cup round one. That puts them in the box seat to get out of that group, and Bangladesh have got a little bit of work to do. You'd expect them still to beat Oman and PNG on the back end and get themselves close, but it gives Scotland a real opportunity to to get into that top two. No surprise, I think, that Oman took care of PNG, but the way that they did it, beating them by 10 wickets and inside 14 overs, gives Oman a massive leg up in terms of their net run rate. So if they go into... Um, a race with Bangladesh now for that second spot in the group, uh, if they lose to Scotland, say, then Oman have got a really big leg up. So Bangladesh have got a lot of work to do now, having lost to Scotland effectively on the opening day of Group 1. I I just want to jump in to say that I just love the World Cup. I I really do. And I, you know, a week ago, you sort of, I I look at these um, games and just think, you know, I, it's on really late at night and it's going to be really hard to watch. And, um, you know, once some of you guys can give me your tips on how you're going to you watch this, you guys might be a bit better placed than me and that you can kind of have it on the background and while you're, while you're doing your other work during the day, but um, it's going to be a, a real struggle for me. But as soon as last night ticked around to about nine 30 and I was thinking, you know, what am I going to do? Do I, you know, I, I really should go to bed pretty soon. It's Sunday night here, but then, you know, Oman PNG is starting in an hour and a half, and I just thought I've got to just sit up and watch this because this is the start of the the World Cup. So yeah, I was all all over that, and you know, it didn't make the best of starts for for PNG with two wickets down uh, before that even scored a run. And but you just love it, and and the emotions were running high. The, there was tears during the anthem um, for the PNG side, and the, you know they looked like a side that that will be better for the run. They were they seemed very rusty. They haven't had a lot of cricket lately, even though I think the commentators have kind of talked about how they've, they've been in that part of the world for a month during the prep. But, you know, they've been very unlucky. And, and I think it's a shame that they didn't play Bangladesh or Scotland in that game because I think Oman might have been the game that they were targeting to to really put out their best foot forward. Yeah, a little bit disappointing for my PNG boys. Very, very proud, passionate nation. I've been there a few times on work trips and, and the amount of passion that the locals have for cricket and for rugby league, rugby league in particular. I mean, you just think back a few years ago at the start of kind of PNG's Rugby League World Cup journey, they were getting trounced by all comers 
at the start of that journey and then you fast forward 10 or 12 years and they're in like the top tier of those rugby league nations they're making quarterfinals um, so that's an you know PNG is an emerging nation in terms of cricket they are going to get better um, and we know that when when associate nations get extended runs in world cups their cricket improves and their programs for cricket improves so I'm looking forward to seeing not what they can do this year but four years eight years down the track I think we'll see a much much more competitive PNG side and I think it's a great thing for cricket particularly in the Pacific region yeah but he couldn't agree with you more Scotland also showing some form in the lead up to that um, beating Ireland in a warm-up game as well and uh, we had Nalo Bryan on the podcast last week talking about that very famous 2007 campaign I went and re-watched the Breaking Boundaries documentary after that as well which just shows that romance for the game and the associate nations having a bit of a crack in these tournaments might not be um, such a bad idea uh, than having these 10 team um, elite um, tournaments going on around the world. But Lippy, you want to give um, a shout out to, to Scotland in a little bit more detail, I think. Oh, look, I, I just want to say what what a great win that was, really, because, you know, you look at them, you know, you touched on the Bangladesh. Everyone's kind of penciled Bangladesh in for the next round. When you look at those teams on paper, you look at Scotland, Oman, PNG. You know, probably people are still penciling Bangladesh in. I think I actually saw um, someone, a, a keen listener will have to tell us if this is correct or I might go and do a proper bit of research afterwards. But I, I believe that if Bangladesh make it through, they're still classed as the uh, number one qualifier to come out of that group, even if they don't finish top of that group because of the way that the seedings work and all that stuff. But, you know, someone else can can uh, tell us what the actual deal is there. But you know, for for Scotland to go into that game and a game where they were certainly underdogs, even though, um, you know, as you mentioned, Pinksy, they have been playing very, very well in the in the lead up, but they're 50, 53 for six in the twelfth over. It's it's not exactly a situation where, you know, a side like that can um, necessarily go. Okay, we're we're up against a, a so called better side, um, and and just continue. But they just played with such freedom after that. Chris Greaves. Incredible knock of 45, including a, a reverse pull for, for six that was pretty awesome off a, a big full toss. And then even, you know, right at the end, 131 for nine in the final over, but they managed to hit another big six, scrape a few more runs and just put on a, a score of 140, which proved, you know, proved the, proved the win. And I mean, they, they were very comfortable. I think, you know, they they final margin was only six runs but they are actually very comfortable in the end I think Bangladesh needed 31 from the last 10 balls at some point so you know that that they did it pretty easy uh, even though the scorecard doesn't necessarily reflect that Raj there's been a bit of a coaching merry-go-round in, in Pakistan at the moment uh, we've touched on it a little bit but uh, another coach stepping down this week yeah, I just wanted to mention about Grant Bradburn stepping down. So he is the high-performance coach uh, manager for Pakistan uh, for the centre that was established in 2020. So that, that makes him the fourth you know, high-profile official to step down, along with Ms. Bain and Waka, the coaches, as well as Wazim Khan, the CEO. This is all since Rami's Raja took over, uh, and, and I don't think it's going to stop there. What I'm hearing is also that there are going to be some shakeups with the executives. Uh, there's a, a report out today that the marketing manager for Pakistan Cricket has also resigned. So I don't think it's over, and I think we should uh, watch this space for the rest of their summer. Yeah, look, really disappointing. I guess we've, look, I guess, made no 
Um, apologies for the fact we've liked the, the Wasim Khan um, reign at the PCB. has done a lot of good for Pakistan cricket. And I think over the three years that he was there, actually put a lot of that structure in place around a high-performance network, um, really worked hard on the fitness and the nutrition and getting specialist coaches into those roles. And I guess, you know, he must be kind of sitting there uh, seeing this slowly being dismantled. And you've just got to hope that they don't lose the momentum that they've got. Obviously, setbacks with a couple of teams not touring Pakistan in, in recent times, England and, and New Zealand notably. Um, but yeah, really hope that they can uh, continue that resurgence that we were just seeing um, a little bit of as well. On the coaching theme, let's talk a little bit about um, Matt Hayden and Vernon Philander and, and also Stephen Fleming, I think, being added to the coaching staff for the Black Caps um, and seeing cricketing reports that that's, you know, a, an opportune uh, piece of business by the Black Caps to get him in because he couldn't get into managed isolation. So he may as well stay um, in the UAE and depart or impart some wisdom um, to his, uh, yeah, to his um, Black Caps brethren. Yep, I, you're, you're spot on, Binksy. It's great to see Stephen Fleming in the camp. I often, you know, when I see play, players like him or ex-players like him that are doing very well in the coaching setup, you know, you see someone like McCullum, who we've already talked about, someone like Vittori, you know, I often think and even Shane Bond, uh, who's been in and out of um, New Zealand setups at, at various times. And, you know, it's the IPL and those franchise tournaments provide such an example for them to go in and and not spend so much time away from their family, but still contribute to the New Zealand environment. So I, I think um, from what I saw, Stephen Fleming's only popping in for a few days. It may not be a an MIQ uh, conspiracy to try and get him home. Um, hopefully he's, he does have a spot, but um, either way, I think it's a an excellent opportunity to kind of get him home or to get him in the environment. And I think I saw him talk about how it's a great opportunity for him as well to come in and see how things happen on in, at a black caps level, you know, and whether that's any different than uh, how he does it in the franchise stuff. It's been actually a great insight, something we didn't talk about before in the IPL, but um, the, they've been releasing quite a few videos of uh, dressing room stuff. And I think I saw an awesome video from Ricky Ponting addressing his capital side that, that went around and did the um, stuff on social media and, and Brendan McCullum, I saw a few times as well. And, and the way that they talk to, uh, their troops and I think um, Stephen Fleming would probably be exactly the same and, and how calm they are but yeah look it, it's it's great to have someone like him you know we heard him on commentary and he's he's got a lot of knowledge and he's got, done so well for CSK and for New Zealand over the years we know he's a, a very clever cricketing brain look I think we're probably uh, transitioning now into New Zealand and kind of wrapping up the podcast but I actually just wanted to throw something out there to you guys in terms of the New Zealand domestic summer, which is due to kick off on Saturday uh, in the Plunkett Shield. But without Auckland and without the Northern District side, which uh, we touched on a little bit earlier and um, in a couple of shows ago, and, and I'm really starting to get pretty worried about this New Zealand domestic season. Uh, and if I, you know, I don't know what you guys think. I don't know if the government would even do this. But I honestly think that New Zealand cricket should be campaigning pretty hard for Auckland and ND, and that's the men's and women's teams, to do two weeks isolation at Lincoln and get them out of Auckland because otherwise I really have big concerns that this domestic season isn't going to start in New Zealand, not start proper where all six teams are in the rotation until we get to Christmas maybe. It's, it's just not looking good with this COVID situation. 
Well, we've definitely seen something similar happening in Australia in terms of bubbles in rugby league, and that worked really, really well for the rugby league season this year and last. Of course, the Warriors haven't played at home in New Zealand for a couple of years. Bubbles work uh, in that in that situation. I think they could potentially work here in New Zealand from a cricket point of view. The South Island has been very lucky and continues to be quite lucky in terms of COVID cases. It looks like Northland's going to open up a little bit now, back into a, a little bit more, a little bit of an easing of restrictions, if you like, but Auckland's still locked down pretty heavily and looks like it will be for the, ne- for the next little while. So it sounds like a great idea, Stuart. Hopefully we can see some sense and, and get some cricket on uh, at Lincoln, which would be a great venue for it. Yeah, Lippy couldn't agree more with those sentiments, although I guess the devil's advocate would say we've not really seen that in New Zealand's biggest sport of, of rugby um, with the MPC. So whether or not that gets rolled out um, to help us watch a bit of cricket Um, remains uh, to be seen. And as you mentioned, Auckland's still in those level three restrictions for at least the next couple of weeks. Well, look, we don't really want to end the podcast on a down note, um, but I guess we're going to have to because we've run out of material. But please do look into the back catalogue and, of course, future releases. As we mentioned to you last week, we are going to be coming into your feed a little bit more regularly over the course of the next two or three months, including an interview with Whitefern Katie Martin at Ashes Check-In. If you do want to get onto the website and have a little bit of a look at the Hall of Fame as well, go and take a look at the revamped Top Order Podcast website, www.thetoporderpodcast.com. But for now, it's good night and God bless from us all here in Auckland, and we'll see you very soon.